Greetings and welcome to our audience. This is another edition of the PATC podcast. I am Mark Waterfield, the president and owner of Public Agency Training Council, and we really appreciate you joining us. I've had my co-host with me, Dave Broadway. Dave, uh, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dave Broadway. I've had the privilege of being with PATC for about eight years now. I'm retired law enforcement, 10 years on a local level, and 24 years at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Prior to that, I was a lifeguard. And I was a cowboy on a dude ranch, and I teach adjunct in the criminal justice department at Western Carolina University. We're so pleased today to have Rick Morrison with us, uh, one of our instructors for Public Agency Training Council. Rick, say hello to our audience. Folks, how you doing today? I'm honored to be here and to have a good discussion and engagement, see what's going on in policing today. Fantastic. Rick, please tell our audience about your background. Yeah, so I started my career in law enforcement in uh, 1989, Florida. I was a deputy. I worked in corrections for about five years to a local police department after that, and then eventually found my way up to Roanoke, Virginia, uh, where I spent my last 22, almost 23 years and retired in 17 as uh, the rank of captain. I've been blessed enough since retirement to have my own consulting business, teach across the country. Wonderful. We really appreciate having you here at PATC. We think you do a fantastic job. Tell our audience the classes that you teach. Yeah, so I'm excited because I'm very passionate about community policing and about engaging police and citizens to come together and make a difference and start changing the narrative. So one of my classes that I love, I love teaching them all, matter of fact, but tactical crime control, community engagement, meaning you can build trust and transparency at the same time as reducing violent crime. And we can speak on that a little bit later on. My second class I really loved, enjoyed teaching is mentoring the underachieving employee and really a pathway to leadership where I challenge any level of supervision of how to mentor, how to invest in your employees for better performance, retention, and to start changing some of the internal work culture uh, that is prevalent throughout law enforcement. A couple other ones that I teach is crime mapping, hotspot policing, using data more effectively to drive strategies, especially with most agencies being short-staffed today. Crime is not going down. The uh, demand for police services are going up. So how do you navigate that with being short-staffed sometimes? So using data to better deploy assets and resources for crime reduction. My newest class that I built was really based on a lot of need, and it was uh, emotional survival or emotional survival and effective communication for law enforcement. I think we're doing a better job now in the last couple of years, but we still have a long ways to go in the law enforcement profession with training our folks to be more mentally resilient (laughs) with all the demands of the job and what this profession does to you or could do to you if you don't have a built-in emotional survival plan. So that class really focuses on how to build that emotional survival plan, especially in the law enforcement or the public safety arena. So those are my key classes that I I teach for you guys, which I enjoy and just love engaging. And they're all interactive. We do breakout sessions and a lot of the discussion and not death by PowerPoint. Rick, I have a little something that I tell my classes and also when I teach at PATC to be a level person, one that could withstand, bend with the what bend and re, be resilient and come back. I say everybody needs a little nonsense in their life, a hobby that means nothing, a hobby that can put you into a zone where you're just doing that one thing. And I tell people, especially at the college, I'll tell them, I said, you guys that are getting into law enforcement. If you don't have something to ground you, something to make you someone else, you will pay a price down the road 
growth in stress and also in your relationships, your intimate relationships with others. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And in order to survive, and I like to think I survived after 30 years in the profession, is that you have got to have that work-family balance. You have got, that is that is non-negotiable. And I think this job, if you allow it to turn into a job with the demands and the pressures, and this is where that emotional resilience comes in at, it, the job almost at times could force you to isolate yourself from non-cop or non-law enforcement people. I, I get a lot when I teach that leadership class as far as, you know, when was the last time you really, in, you did something that you really enjoyed outside of police work? And people reflect back, well, I used to, I called to, I used to. Well, I used to, I used to, I used to fish. I used to hunt. I used to go on family vacations. I said, well, why don't you do that now? Well, Rick, you know, I'm working overtime. I'm working, you know, we're short staffed, you know, and the job is so, and that's the, uh, the death of a used to. And that's why to your point, Dave, is you've got to have that. You've got to fight every day for that work family balance. And you have to have uh, some of my best friends are cops, but I also have great, great friends that are not in law enforcement or the public safety arena. And if you don't, you never get a break from it. It's 24-7 because we all know is when cops get together off duty, what do we talk about? Uh, it shouldn't be a crusade. Crusades yeah. never end well. Scorched earth. There you go. And that's where I think a lot And today, especially in, in law enforcement, that's where we're still dealing with. Because, again, to your point, Dave, that being mentally resilient and how does that look in an organization, I think we're starting to chip away at that. But we're not where we need to be as a profession. Tell us about your mentoring class. Well, for me, I'm on, and, and Dave, you mentioned that word crusade, so I'm going to follow up with that. I'm going to use that again, if you don't mind. Is, Not at all. So after working for three separate police organizations in my career and going out and teaching various courses, I really started... I really started identifying and getting feedback and looking at the realities of not just what other people are telling me, but my own experiences, and that I am now on a crusade to start moving towards, through teaching, through consulting, is changing the internal work culture of police organizations. And I'll, I'll elaborate on that real quickly to set up this. Until we start meaningfully changing our work culture internally within the organization, we're not really going to we're not really going to have a major impact on changing the policing profession. Think about for the last 50 years of police reform in this country and especially in the last three to five years. Right. On a national level, state, local level, we talk about police reform. We need police reform. And we you know, now we have new policies in place, new procedures. We have more training, which is all good. But why are we still having the same conversation 50 years later about we need more reform? So for me, what I've learned over the years is you can have the best policies in place, the best procedures, the best, the best everything. But if your culture, your internal culture, your workforce don't believe in those policies, don't adhere to those policies, they don't adhere to the training they received. What do you have? You have very little to no change. So for me, I think in the way all my classes are built, I always focus on we need to change our internal culture. We get the culture right, not perfect, but we get the culture right, we will start seeing meaningful changes that are not just changes, but are now sustainable changes. And that's when the, prof the professional law enforcement or the public safety arena really starts moving forward, is now when we start fully engaging in changing our culture. This is Mark Waterfill, the president and owner of Public Agency Training Council, and I wanted to let you know about an upcoming conference on October 9th through the 
13th at Myrtle Beach. It's a great time to be at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Beautiful ocean and beach there and great restaurants and lots of... We will have four classes, a mobile phone investigation, death and homicide, community policing, and detecting deception. And so make sure you check out our website, patc.com. And want to make you aware of two wonderful weeks that we will be having in Las Vegas. In the week of November 6th, we will have several classes at the Palace Station. Then during the week of December 11th, we will have another round of classes at Treasure Island Resort on the Strip. So check out our website at patc.com. I'm sure that you'll find a class that you'll truly enjoy. And we look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas this winter. I'll give you a quick example, real quick. And this is based on a couple studies that I used in the class with toxic environment, with employees who are disengaged, who now look at this profession as a job, not a profession. You know, I got five more years to retirement. You know, I come in and do the bare minimum to keep my supervisor off my back. You know, you can't trust command staff throughout to get you. All these things, all this negativity. And what I've discovered is where do you, where do you think that you would find, what are the two most common positions in a law enforcement organization where you're more apt to find an employee who is disengaged, who is toxic, jaded, and all the above. Where do you think the two most common positions are or titles? I'm going to take a swag with that. I would say um, people that outlive their usefulness in narcotics. I've seen a few there. And also um, those guys that have never taken the promotional exam. And um, at my part, at my department, uh, 99% of the time you were never promoted in place. You're all over the state. I thought that was a good thing, but I would say narcotics and uh, just the guys that kind of pitch their tent there. Good points, good reflection, but here are the two most common positions where you would you would most likely find a disengaged employee. And this is what I talk about in the leadership class about having impact. Unfortunately, it's negative impact. So the number one common position where you would find a toxic or disengaged employee is the FTO, mm-hmm. the field training officer. Really? Yes. And here's the second most common position that you would find a toxic or disengaged employee is the first line supervisor. So think about think about the impact those two positions have on the organization, on especially new employees. Right. And now you and so this is why we have such you know, we have I think we're one of the many reasons why we're in we're in a crisis of retention is I always go back to the culture. You know, one of the classes or one of the things I do real quickly is in my mentoring class. And I've, like I said, I taught this across the country. I've taught this several places for you guys as well. And I do this one exercise, this one breakout session. And there's sometimes I'll have the same agency in one in one class. Normally, it's multiple agencies in the class that are represented. I can have rookies. I can have 10, 15, 25 year veteran officers. It really doesn't matter. But I break the classes in groups, sometimes based on supervisions, sometimes based on tenure or just just break them in general. But I do separate groups and I ask them this question from your own perspective and from your own experiences in your own organizations. But I want you as a group collect discuss them collectively, but describe to me your organizational work culture. So I give them a big piece of paper. I give them some markers and I say, just bullet point to me, describe to me. From your perspective, your internal work culture, and I let them go at it. And I've been doing this for almost six years now across the country, big agencies, small agencies, rural, state, it doesn't matter. I get the exact same list over and over again. And I got to the point where, you know, now I just, I have a, I show the list once they're done, I show my list on a slide 
which is pretty much mirrors what they all said. And here are the common things. I didn't ask for good or bad. I just said, describe to me your organization from your perspective, the culture. And I can count on one hand over six years and thousands of officers in doing this breakout session. I can count on one hand someone or a group put something positive. Every time, every list over those years have been always negative things. Politics, good old boy system, command staffs disconnected from the boots on the ground, backstabbing, no consistent discipline, unfair promotional process. I don't feel appreciated. We operate in silos of communication. There is no trust in this organization. So how in the world, and here's the here's my challenge to the CEOs of these organizations, these chiefs and, and sheriffs. You know, the sheriffs and chiefs rightfully so challenged their officers and deputies to go out to the communities that they serve and to build better trust, to build better transparency, right? And to have more effective communication out in the communities. And so we push our people out there to do that, and we should. But how can we expect our employees to be 100% effective out there when within their own agencies, trust, transparency, and effective communication is on life support? Excellent point. Absolutely. And that's where this culture comes in. We've got to start, especially in leadership, we've got to start changing the culture. Tell us about your crime mapping, what all is involved there. So crime mapping, and I think one of the biggest things I, I use in this class is how do we better use crime data and intelligence, right, to get away from reactive policing? Because we already know over the years that Reactive policing is no longer effective or efficient. You, The days of driving in your patrol car around your zone or district haphazardly waiting for the computer to be lit up for a dispatch call, that's by the wayside now. That's no longer, it never was effective. Or just, I call it using the spaghetti noodle effect. Hey, we've got gun violence. Well, what are we going to do about it? Well, let's grab a bunch of wet noodles and we'll throw them onto the proverbial patrol wall and whatever sticks, hey, that's what we'll do. So, hey, you know what? We'll just do saturation patrol. We'll just go out there and flood an area. If you have a pulse, you're going to get pulled over. You're going to get, you know, patted down and arrested nine times out of 10. And let's just hope for the best. And what happens is when you take on these types of strategies that are not measured or not validated through best practices, when they're not validated through data, when they're not validated through using community partnerships, what happens is we cause a lot of damage. Nine times out of 10, we make areas worse than when we came into it. And I always tell folks, you know, if you use the data, if you use, you know, I go back to the community policing part of it is, and I use it not just in our crime mapping class, but in our community policing class is community policing has been, I think over the many, many years has been the most understood two words in the policing profession, what community policing really is. And that really folds into crime mapping and hotspot policing is how you're using that data how are you using your resources, your assets? How are you using your community to come together more strategically, more intentionally to solve some of these issues? So really the big takeaway in that crime mapping is I really kind of peel back the layers of what are the considerations moving an agency from being reactive, going to more proactive and prevention focused, and then move the court, move the class. Once we build a foundation, move the class into a more predictive role now? How do we start predicting crime? That's where the win is. Once a crime happens and you respond to it, we've already lost the battle. We've already have victims. We've already have community damage. So the winning, the winning ticket in today's law enforcement is not so much reactive, is how do we predict and then prevent 
crime from happening. And if you understand data, if you understand how to use it, ask the right questions, you as a department can be very, very effective, even when being short-staffed. I think that's why crime mapping and data is so much more valuable today with most agencies are being short-staffed. You've got to become more strategic and intentional in your crime-fighting abilities. Well, Rick, you're just a fantastic instructor, and we truly enjoy working with you, and the reviews are are always excellent. We just uh, enjoy our relationship. Please, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, check out Rick Morrison's classes. I'm sure that you will enjoy them. Thank you so much for being on our podcast, and uh, have a great rest of your week. Mark, Dave, I really appreciate the time and opportunity and for teaching for you guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. One.